Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. You've been traveling a lot, huh? Lately, um, I've been in um, New Zealand with the team here for about a month now. Um, okay. About three weeks. Three weeks since I got here. I think that's awesome. So we head back um, next week. So. What the, what's that like having a team in New Zealand? Um, with today's technology, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty easy. It's not that hard. Uh, I guess the biggest challenge is the time difference at times. Um, yeah. As when they leave their summer, and uh, it's summertime here, and we enter our, our, our spring summer, the hours, it gets a little bit harder, more challenging. So I'm working a lot of late nights um, to, to communicate with the team. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it gets a little bit tougher during the summer, our summer months. So a little bit tougher. Um, how, how often are you traveling back and forth? I do it four times a year right now. Four times a year. Okay. Yeah. And usually two weeks this, this week it's, uh, you know, we're getting ready for our, our, um, our fiscal year ends in March at the end of March. Okay. So we're coming up to the fiscal year end. Um, I also do a lot of strategic planning for the next year. So I've been locked in the room at least twice a week, uh, you know, two hours every week um, with wow. with the team doing strategic planning for next year. I love it. I love so, it. Using your own tool, huh? We do. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, all right. So I want to start, we talked about a lot of things, you know, on our last podcast, right. um, but I really want to discuss, you know, so you, your initial, uh, the initial company you were a part of uh, grew and you almost sold it for a billion dollars. That wasn't so, the initial company. That was the most recent company. The most recent company. company. Yeah, you, you have a lot of experience. That's what I mean. Um, right. And, uh, but the last company. So let's, let's start from even earlier than that. Um, it, you know, when you were, let's say you were like 25 years old, what were you doing then? I was running Computer Discount of America. That grew to be about fifty to eighty million dollars a year. We at the end we had an eighty million dollar run rate. So um, why so that, why did you achieve that success? What 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 is so special about Mark Daniels that made you do that? Um, I think uh, yeah, well that one's pretty straightforward. Um, I was able to identify trends that were going on at that time in the world. I actually started that when I was around uh, 21 years old, um, Computer Discount of America. Uh -huh. um, and I'll see if I can pack this down a little bit. Um, in the 70s, and I don't think we covered this in the previous podcast. In the 70s, there was, um, I, I grew up right on the border of New York State and New Jersey. Um, and uh, I started to do intern work for a Radio Shack dealership in 1978 that was in West Milford, New Jersey, right on the New York State border. 
So at that point in time, the drinking age, um, up until about three years before that, had been 21 in New York and 18 in New mm -hmm. Jersey. Mm -hmm. I mean, reverse, 18 in New York, 21 in New Jersey. That's so every weekend, people would drive to Greenlit Lake, New York to drink. Uh -huh. um, and uh, that, that community was really, really powerful community. About one third of the town was employed by Ford Mawa, which was the second largest auto manufacturing plant in the world, right. in the world. And uh, there was also a place called Jungle Habitat. It was owned by Warner Brothers. Um, and it was an amusement park that you could drive your car through and see the wild animals. Well, everything fell apart in the late 70s in that town. Ford Mawa decided to move a lot of its manufacturing offshore. And in, 19, in the late 1978, 79, they closed down um, the largest, second largest manufacturing plant. Um, the drinking age changed to 18 in New Jersey. So nobody wanted to drive up to Greenwood Lake, New York and drink. They could drink anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So the bars were literally burning. There were bars that would burn on a weekend, fires mysteriously, barns burn, bars burning, um, businesses shuttering. About half the town was unemployed. Wow. And if you, if you were like a handyman, like a, maybe you did home repairs, you were out of work too because nobody had any money to spend on you. Wow. So Northern Jersey was very, very depressed at that point in time. At the same time, I'm doing intern work for intern work. I'm in my senior year in college and uh, working for this Radio Shack dealer. And the guy's, the owner's name was Joe Russo. And I came to Joe and I did a financial forum and I said, Joe, you're going to go out of business in six months. Mm. And he said, no, 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 that can't be. I signed off my house. You can't do this. You can't this is, you, you do it again. And your numbers are wrong. You're a stupid kid right out of college. You don't know what you're doing. I went back, did the numbers again. I said, Joe, you're right. I was wrong. You're going to be out of business in four months. <laughs> wow. Wow. So um, that weekend, um, you know, I started to look at something that, that I teach all my clients, um, you know, trends. If you do a SWOT analysis, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Then I pause and I do trends. What trends are going on out there in the world today? And we'll come back to trends in a moment. Do you do that for every? Do you do that for the entire company, or do you do that for like every individual person within your company? You do that for for the entire company. Okay. okay. And you have to look at trends more so than ever today. A lot of people talk about SWOT analysis. That's like college textbook stuff. But if you look at your strengths, your weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and if you look at your opportunities and threats without looking at trends. Um, so I take pause and I get everybody, Hey, what's going on out there in the world today? Oh, well, we have an election coming. How could that election affect your company? Um, what's going to happen to your company? Uh, you're in, you're in healthcare. What's going to happen to your comp company if X gets elected or if Y gets elected? Um, so that's a trend, right? Well, the trends in West Milford were very obvious. If you opened a business in, 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 in West Milford, New Jersey, in the late seventies, you were stupid. <laughs> yeah. The, the trends, all the trends were saying, do not open a business here. Well, at the same time, I, I started were to notice. that did that? Were there people that did start businesses anyways? Well, this, this poor guy, yeah. Joe Russo, had signed off his house with an SBA loan um, to buy this Radio Shack dealership, which was doing quite well up until 
about the middle of the late 70s, let's say 76, 77, doing quite well. But by 78 was, in 79 was ready to hit the wall. So I started to look, I was thinking about trends. And I was like, well, we started to, you know, I was doing his bookkeeping for him. So I started to notice they were selling a lot of these Radio Shack Model 1 computers. The part number, by the way, you can test me on this, 260-1051. That's a TRS-80 Model 1 computer. They sold for $999. It was the first totally assembled computer wow. ever shipped. It was before the Apple II. So before it, you actually had to assemble it yourself. Is that that's right. Buy, before that, you'd buy a Heath kit from Heath. Um, they used to make radios. So you'd buy a Heath kit from, from that, or you'd buy an Apple One in, the, in, in, the, in uh, Jobs and Wozniak, which said to be a box, and you'd put your Apple One computer together. No way. I did um, not know that. Um, or you could buy um, uh, other there was uh, Radio Shack used to have a kit to put together put together a computer. So every time we got four of these in or five of these in, they'd go right out the door. So a light bulb went off in my head, and I was lucky. I saw the trends, and I said, "Everything's dead in this town." Right. What What could we do? Well, we're selling these Radio Shacks like crazy. So I ran an ad in the Wall Street Journal. Cost $250. I put it on my own personal credit card. And it simply said, TRS-80 Model 1 computers, TRS-80 computers, best prices in the USA. Mm -hmm. Call 201-728-7555. I didn't even have a toll-free number. That's really the phone number, too. I don't know if it still works. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, and the next day, the phone started ringing, and they never stopped ringing at all. They, they just, it was explosive. Um, wow. So, you know, it's so important to put together a strategic plan, but every company should lock themselves in a room once a year and identify their, their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities and threats. So obviously with that one, pretty simple. The threat was the town's dead, half the town's unemployed, there's no revenue in this town. What's the opportunity? The Model 1 computer. How could we leverage that? And thankfully, I came up with it. And uh, for the next 30 years, Joe Russo ran that Radio Shack dealership. Well into his 70s, that guy ran that Radio Shack dealership, which was on, in the 70s, was on the border, on the fringe of closing. So, um, and you helped with that. You helped, obviously. Well, I, became, I, I became his partner. We broke off the mail order division. And, uh, you know, we grew that, I grew that company. That was originally West Milford Radio Shack, and it became Computer Discount of America. That $80 million, you said? 80. Yep. yep. Wow. By, the, by uh, 91, um, you know, our, our Christmas that year was, uh, you know, a, a nice, healthy $8 million, $10, $9 million Christmas. So. Wow. That's great. Um, okay. And then, so you moved on from that and then you started working with, uh, when was Flextronics? I remember. Uh, Flextronics is a business plan that I did for a, a, a friend of mine. He was actually running a company called Instrumentation Engineering. Um, and, um, well, he was running a company for, he, he was working for a company and the company was going to go out of business and, um, he was very upset. Um, it was New Year's Eve, actually. I started this business plan with him. 
he was really upset because he said, listen, I haven't stayed up on computer programming. I've been, you know, helping Julian, uh, this guy, uh, I forget the guy's last name, but it was an Italian name. And he was helping this guy run the, run the company. And um, it was going it was filing for bankruptcy. So we put together a business plan and he bought that company from the bankruptcy courts. Every month he'd have to write a check to the bankruptcy trustee um, for, so basically he got ownership of this company and then continued to do repair work on their existing equipment. And from that, those checks, he would write a check. And uh, we put together a business plan. He grew that company to be a monster of a company um, and sold that company to Flextronics. Mm. Um, I joined him around when he was uh, uh, selling the company to uh, Flextronics and uh you know helped him uh you know basically when you work for yourself and you move into a, a a corporate environment it can be quite challenging so when you own your own company you have one persona and all of a sudden when you're working for somebody else um there can be turmoil there right so i came in to sort of help him interface his company properly to flextronics and then subsequently i ended up working for flextronics as chief operating officer of this division. So, um, very nice. He, he, sold Flextronics, he sold Flextronics, his company, um, for I think it was $300 million. So, okay. So, you, you've seen a lot of these companies. Do you, do you attribute a lot of your success to understanding trends, understanding, and then putting and then executing on those trends? I think almost every other, every one of them came from some sort of trends with, um, with um, instrumentation engineering, it was fiber optics and he, he saw that trend and um, he really leveraged that and, and created a, his number one company at the time was Lucent Technologies. Um, and uh, he really leveraged, you know, that, that, that fiber optics capability at that time that he had built into his company. So I think so often it's leveraging something hot that's out there in the marketplace. I used to talk, and I haven't used this analogy in, in years, but riding different waves. You know, my first, in, my first company was riding the personal computer wave. Um, my next real big success was uh, pre-press direct. And we took printing presses, which used to be burned in acid baths, and you'd lay one color plate up at a time. And, you know, we took it from burning plates to direct to plate presses. So you didn't have to, you know, sit, soak these plates in, in acid baths. And, and that was pre-press direct. So we helped really revolutionize um, the whole printing industry um, and, and made it so that, you know, there we got very successful with newspapers because a process that used to take two hours or an hour and a half, we could have the morning edition printing in 30 minutes and for a newspaper that hour makes made a lot of difference. Um, you know, it's before social media was explosive. So in the eighties, that, that one hour that we could save a print, a, a, a newspaper was incredibly valuable. Um, so we really revolutionized, um, um, you know, direct to press. And there we also saw an opportunity in newspapers. Do you feel, do you feel really quick, hold on a second. So do you feel that, uh, did the company ever have a, a, a tremendous impact on any of those businesses? Did you, 
or did you feel like, oh, I think like we can be successful in any economy? Did you ever think, wow, if the t- economy tanks, we're we're in trouble? <laughs> Never. Yes, that's what I like to hear. That's what Never. I like to hear from a lot of people. Never. Yeah, because it doesn't um, matter. Yeah. With 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 with, um, with uh, diligent, it was really uh, you know. Everybody's talking about what was going on in New York. Diligent started um, in in 2003, and shortly as after that started, the you know when was the big crash in New York? Was that 2008? Yeah. So you know, D- Diligent was hiring people nonstop in 2008 and 2009 and 2010, um, and Diligent provided electronic board books for companies, and, and there. Uh, um, I was really blessed because, or we were really blessed as a company, because as banks were failing, they needed to meet more frequently. And what Diligent did was did electronic board books. So if a bank had to meet, rather than meeting every other month, a local community bank, they would now have to meet twice per month. And their board packages were yay thick. So now we moved into, so as, as New York was stumbling and people were getting laid off, Diligent was growing because there was such a big demand on streamlining. Um, you know, I think I'm just realizing something, Frank. Man, you, you, you know, in, in so many of these industries, we've, we've the product I've been delivering helps people do something in a more efficient manner. At Pre-Depressed Direct, it was at Diligent Board Books, it was even computers to that point helped people become more efficient. So in every one of these industries, almost every one of them that I've been part of, um, you know, it's been making things easier for people, letting them accomplish more in a quicker, more concise It's just convenience, way. right? Saving time, convenience. Uh, I feel like the, the more that this um, modern age is pro- progressing, where it's progressing is in terms of what is most convenient to people. That's what you need to sell. Sell time. Right. So right. Uber, the Ubers of the world, um, absolutely selling time and and uh, and a lot of I think SaaS companies are, are uh, understanding that a lot of other companies are not understanding that and they're going to go out of business very likely. Um, but uh, cool. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit about. Um, so you were on Diligent. Uh, then you were um, in. When did you are you still part of that or you exited? While back, I did diligent in 20, um, 2012 after uh, after uh, ten years with with diligent. Uh, I, I was burnt out and I, I needed some downtime. You needed some downtime. Uh, during diligent, I was traveling every single week, um, signing up boards, working with companies like Exxon Mobil. I was in the boardroom with Rex Tillerson. I was. In the boardroom, you, you know, so many of these large companies put bringing electronic books to their board of directors. Um, very often, the first board meeting they would have, um, you know, we were diligent. We really prided ourselves on, um, you know, client support. So very often, for the first board meeting, um, especially went before the iPad came out, for the first board meeting, um, you know, they'd, they'd be the first board meeting in every every director had a laptop in front of them before they had paper books. Yeah. So very often I'd be called in um, or we'd be called in 
to sit outside of the boardroom and be there to help them, right. uh, you know, should they have technical trouble. And we do that for all the first board meetings. So whenever there is a high profile board, whether it was AIG or uh, ExxonMobil or Chevron, you know, I, I would say, hey, yeah, I'll go do that one. And what was really great there is every one of them was truly a sales call because every one of those directors sat on another board somewhere. Hmm. So if you were at the ExxonMobil board and there was 11 board members, you'd now had, and they all sat on two or three boards, you had now had 36 additional opportunities, right? Because if that director sits on three other boards. How are you, how are you, you selling? Yeah. Well, you know, they'd come out, they, they'd, you'd come in during the coffee break to make sure all the, um, you know, the plugs were plugged in. They said, oh, I love this system. You said, I used to lug around these board books. Now I just carry around my laptop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can, um, you know, I wish I could have all three of the companies that I serve on my laptop. Um, you know, because the other two, they're really old. They, they're still using board books. So the next day I would, you know, I, I, he'd, I'd get his business card. I'd call that director, whoever it might be. And, uh, you know, he would sit on another board and I'd say, do you mind if I use your name? So I'd call the corporate secretary, general counsel at that company, do an and, introduction and say, hey, I was talking to Frank yesterday. And this is a cold they, call? They'd say, Frank who? Uh, your board member, Frank. And, <laughs> and they, they'd say, oh, yes. Well, you know, they didn't hang up on you if you were talking to one of the board members, right? Uh, so, and this is a cold call, completely cold call. Call completely cold call. But if you mention the board member's name, or you said, "I'm calling yeah. on behalf of," or so and so asked me to call you, so it, while it was a cold call, it was like the warmest call you could possibly get. I mean, it was it was. I I, I don't think they're, they're they're calls of introduction. It's a it's a really warm introduction. Yeah. Um, you know, so that got us into so many uh, boards. So it was really you built a relationship with one uh, key decision maker, and that one key decision maker introduces you to the whole board. <laughs> yeah, introduces you to the whole board, and then all the other boards that that key decision maker is part of as well. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I never thought about it that way. So target people that are on boards and are, are have a lot of influence because they're very likely on other boards as well. Uh, not very likely. I mean, you can't open up a board and not see somebody on you know another board. Really? Yeah. That's really key insight uh, for sure. So do you recommend like if you're like starting a company uh, and you want to grow, um, if you want to grow fast or you want to get some of these bigger clients, how do you target these, these people that have like all these, all these boards that they're part of? Well, it's different for every company. You know, I'm not with Diligent anymore, but it's, it's different for every company. First, you really have to define your target market really well. So many people do not define their target market well. So you have to start off by defining your target market. When you define your target market, everything brings context to everything you do. You have your advertising, your marketing dollars. Um, they're better spent because you're marketing to your target market customer. Right. When you, um, you know, they're more likely to pick you because if you're talking to that target market all the time um, and have the same message and that person, your message resonates with them. They're going to say, wow, this person 
you know, I trust this person. So you're building trust with them. But the, the, it's so key to first define your target market properly. If we had just said, you know, early on, we're just going to go after all boards, that probably would have failed. Um, once I realized that banks were all being audited uh, by the Obama administration during that, uh, I forget whether it was Bush or Obama back in 2008, but all the banks were going through audits because of the uh, because of the, the the loan you know the the real estate market crash so i said we just had signed we signed one bank then we signed two or three more banks and i put all our focus on banks wow all of it and by the end of that year you know we had grown from being six clients to 50 clients and about half of them were banks wow is it because you just knew the, the next year the next year we kept on going back on banks at that time in the united states were about seven thousand banks i don't know what the number is now probably yeah. around six thousand but um there were seven thousand banks and that's not counting credit unions yeah so then i said hey well banks have a problem credit unions must have a problem is it, so is then it they ran into credit uh, unions. It, by then the reason you were successful banks was, was it because you um you just, you understood the lingo. You could talk to them in the way they, they want to be talked to. Um, I didn't understand the lingo. The thing with banks was, again, it was a trend going on in the background. Yeah. That, um, the, the, they were auditing, first they audited all big banks. Um, and that, that cleaned off, uh, you know, it's called a, um, a, a um, you know, like a, a national bank, you know, like the big ones. Yeah. J.P. Morgan's Chase, um, this, you know, all the big, big banks. Um, then they started to audit the next largest banks, which was about a thousand banks that fell into a certain asset class. Then they got down and started to audit all the regional banks. So now the government's out there auditing 5,000 banks and these banks can't keep up with it. And the board has to meet every two weeks because they're all directors of the corporation. And if they do something wrong, if their bank policy is to bring every, every loan above $200,000 in front of the board, well, lo and behold, all these directors, you know, have their butt in the sling. You know, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna be, they're exposed. So banks wanted to meet more frequently, but they didn't have the time to put together these big extensive board packages. So that again was a trend. And, but then because of that trend, I said, listen, we're trying to sell boards, but let's really narrow our focus down and get very focused on banks alone. Did you have any pushback regarding that? Like, did anybody say, we need to focus on a broader market? Um, people, um, they said, let's go into other, uh, you know, the, the, the per I was the um, head VP of sales at that point in time. And the CEO, yeah, definitely wanted, he said, you keep on bringing banks, we need some other mixture. And I said, don't worry about it, they'll happen. And the reason is, because I looked at the board members on these banks, and if, if Joe sat on the bank, he also sat on another board, whether it was Kirby Oil that runs oil up and down the rivers in Louisiana, yeah. or, you know, so I wasn't so concerned about that. But I saw that banks were an easy one right then, because they, they were in they were being challenged at that point in time. Interesting. So, okay, wow. And then the next tipping point in that was the iPad came out. 
Mm-hmm. And when the iPad came out, now they didn't have to carry around this big computer like sitting in front of me right now. They, they, so the board members that were resistant to lugging around the computer now had this cute little sliver of plastic that they could, you know, carry around versus this laptop that was much more likely to break. Right, right. So, so, so to be clear for the, the listening audience, um, by the way, you know, last podcast, we got like 600 downloads. So you had 600 people listening to you for, I think, an average of like 38 minutes. <laughs> so, okay. so that was Great. interesting. Uh, just, just so they're clear, Diligent, what Diligent did, define it for me. Like what, 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 what did Diligent specifically do for boards? Uh, was it like uh, secure applications? T- t- right. So Diligent put together the board package. Um, in the early days, a board package was put together. You would uh, uh, literally type on a typewriter a board, a board, uh, your board documents. You'd bring it into the next room to the typing pool where there were 30 young ladies or 20 young ladies that would type your board package for you. So that was how board packages were done before they invented the copying machine. Okay. Now come along the 50s and the 60s and we have a copy machine. Right. So now when you have 12 board members, all the information that you have to share with the board every month or every other month or every quarter um, amounts to anywhere from between 200 and 300 pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. And they would stand by the copy machine for two days copying and putting together and collating these 300 page board packs wow and if you have 12 board members you have to print 36 of them why right right right. (laughs) because one board member has a house in the hamptons another board member has a, a vacation house up in the mount mountains and you don't know where they are so you have to ship one board package to their house and one board package to um you know to their to their vacation house oh and you have to print a third one in case they forget to bring their board package (laughs) so literally they would and you'd walk into any company i don't care who it was you know cit different banks and you the night before the board package had to go down the hall were stacks of paper because that's how they'd collate it. They'd collate all this different information and they'd put it in piles down the hall on the boardroom table on the floor. And then they'd slap it together in a big thick binder and ship that off to the board members. Gotcha. And okay. What we did was we digitized that. We made it secure, very, very secure. Everything was encrypted. Everything was downloaded, encrypted. We worked really hard to make it very, very secure. No matter what, it was more secure than what they were doing those days because they'd give a board package to the Federal Express driver. And five minutes later, the Federal Express driver, just after having picked up 36 board books, would zip open one of those boxes and take photos of every page and be trading on the, on the stock market. Right. And I don't know that to be fact, but you, I, I'm doing that just as a parallel that, you know, there was no security whatsoever. That UPS driver wasn't vetted. That Federal Express driver wasn't vetted as far as, you know, these board packages are coming out of these monster corporations with incredible impact, right? Right, right. right. And there was no security, nothing. They were just shipping these packages. You could leave them on planes, you could leave them in bars, you could leave these packages anywhere. Was it ever, like, did you ever feel like it was extremely difficult to sell to these board members? In the beginning, yes. 
um, in the beginning, it was super, super hard because the board members all resisted it. At that time, a lot of the board members were extremely um, senior in years um, and didn't even know how to turn on a computer, let alone use one. I flew down to, um, to Texas once to train a board member that sat on the Manhattan Project. He was one of the guys that helped invent the nuclear bomb. He sat on the Manhattan Project, and he was in his 80s, and he was on the board board of directors of, of a company. And I spent the, most of the day, half of the day, um, teaching him how to turn on his computer. <laughs> yeah. So when it runs out of power, you have to plug it in. <laughs> and when it, it, it was really... Um, funny. It reminds me of when, like, uh, a while back, my mom called me. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she's like, um, Frank, what's the cursor? Because <laughs> he's like <laughs> reading some instructions and it says put the cursor over in some section or whatever. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> well, that's what we were dealing with. So we had a lot of resistance from the board members. Um, but, um, you know, the, the real thing that changed that was this need to get books out there. The, the computers were becoming more prevalent for, for, you know, more senior people to have. Um, these people were all super smart people. They sat on boards, but some of them were really technically challenged. Um, so, um, and it really came to, I was at one board meeting and the, the CEO came in and he said, we need to move to electronic board books for security. And he said, um, if anybody doesn't, is unwilling to move to electronic board books, there's a blank piece of paper in, in the back of your board package, rip that out and write your resignation on that piece of paper now. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And I, I, won't <laughs> state that, I won't state that CEO's name, but I remember that board meeting like, <laughs> and then he introduced me and he said, and Mark Daniels is here to oh, train you. <laughs> oh man, they must have been giving you, been giving you uh, bad looks and all that. But he, this is a board, you know, some CEOs really drive their board very hard and some CEOs are nervous and, and, and uh, you know, step cautiously around their board members. But this, this uh, chairman, you know, just said, this is the way it's going to be. We need to do this. So there was a push to get more secure. There was a push to take this terrible pressure off of the corporate secretary and, um, yeah, the corporate secretary and the general counsel and their staff would literally spend two or three days. Everybody hated um, the period leading up to board preparation because it meant they were going to be in the office for two or three days as they put these books together. So we also made it so easy for them to put the books together. They had to build one. Yeah. Okay. And we made it very simple for the board members because our interface was designed to be um, looks like a book and works like a book. Right. So it was really sort of like a page reader almost, you know, like a, like you would buy a, on a Kindle or something these days, right? So, okay, so let me let me just uh, step back a second. So uh, you, on that board, you were the VP and you were getting all these sales. Uh, the other board members on, in that company probably loved you at that point, right, when you started getting more sales. The other... Your, your partners... Right. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. They were like, "Wow, we love Mark." You know. <laughs> well, we grew. We, you know, I grew that sales staff out at one point in time. We I had sixteen salespeople underneath me. You know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't just me selling it anymore. Um, but 
you know, it grew. But you were yeah. responsible First for that. First me, then then another one guy, and then you know yeah. we grew that out. So then and you I actually joined that company as chief operating officer, Frank. I joined that company as chief operating officer, and after about three weeks, I turned to um, the CEO who had hired me, and I said, "Listen, Brian, I said I'm done operating. There's nothing to operate. What you really need is customers." Yeah. <laughs> so he said, "Well, Mark, why don't you go off and build the sales process?" And it took me six months to figure out. The, the 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 way into these boards you know i started by calling board members and that was not the way into the board the board members would say no 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 you have to talk to my general counsel your corporate secretary it's really hard to get their phone numbers so um the right way into boards initially was not the board member while they became my biggest lead thereafter once we got a, a, an installed base they, they were a really great way of generating new introductions I had to convince corporate secretaries and general counsels mm. to move on to this. And, you know, we used to call it a board portal. Portal isn't a word that's used that frequently anymore. But um, it was a secure board portal where you could go to to load all of your information, download all your information. We'd download to the board member's computer to like and look like a book and work like a book. So, um, you know, I'd call general counsels and saying, hey, you really need a board portal. I guess the changing, the uh, you know, early changing thing is I convinced uh, this woman, Jacqueline, and I forget her last name. She was a, a writer at the Wall Street Journal. I convinced her to do an article. Um, she said, no, the Wall Street Journal won't do an article on, on electronic board communications. And then I called her back a few weeks later. I said, now, this is really a good story. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll set you up with an introduction to my three largest competitors. She said, what? I said, yeah, this is, a, this is an exploding industry. I said, I have three competitors that are all also selling electronic board books. And I said, now that's a story for the Wall Street Journal, that board members all around the world are starting to use this electronic, electronic capability to deliver board packages. Right. I went down to Princeton, New Jersey. I had lunch with her in Princeton and convinced her to do this article. And I introduced her to all the competitors. I literally called up my competitor, um, Joe Buck over at Board Vantage. I think Diligent now owns them. <laughs> but, um, you know, I convinced, I, you know, I said, Joe, you got to do this interview. He said, why are you calling me? I said, you're my competitor. I said, Joe, I bumped into you and it shows, you know, like, this is a chance for our names, to, our, our company names to be in the Wall Street Journal. So that article served as a tipping point for all three of the, the other competitors as well as me. Wow. Just like when I put that phone number um, in the Wall Street Journal when I started my very first you know, mail order company, after we did the Wall Street Journal article, the phone didn't stop ringing for weeks. We, we had leads from that article. For weeks. So you believe it, so I'm sure you believe in content marketing then. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, why do you think I'm sitting here at 7 a.m. in Auckland, New Zealand, watching the sunrise? Yeah, content marketing is ideal. Okay, so, uh, and, then, and then when when did you make an exit out of, out of uh, Diligent? I did in 2012. I took a year off. I'd been traveling um, quite a lot. Um, um, sleeping on red eyes, coming back. Um, I actually, um, 
he was working so many hours that I, I, from sleeping on planes, I developed a pulmonary embolism. I was in the hospital for a week. Um, so I just said, I have to, you know, like I, I've made, I've made a lot, I've made a good fair amount of money and I need to um, just take a break. And I resigned from Diligent in 2012 after 10 years. The company was at that time listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Um, and the very next year or a few years later, they sold the private equity. Of course, I had a lot of shares in the company. So, uh, I, you know, it was a, a really good, very good run for me. I took a year off. And after a year off, I uh, started uh, or, or was invited into um, results. Um, and after a year, after a few years with results as a consultant, I joined the board of directors and now I'm the, uh, C I started off as the acting CEO and now I'm the CEO of results. And, um, we just launched a new product, um, or relaunched the product. We, 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 I took the product that they, they previously had. We really did a, We've been working on a total rewrite of the whole platform, but we just rewrote the strategic planning component of the platform. And I took all the knowledge that I've garnished over six decades. Yes, six decades, Frank. I started in the 70s. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, you had a huge competitive advantage. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2019s, 2020. Yeah. Six decades, okay? That's uh, crazy to me. <laughs> it's sort of scary because 60 makes you, I must be 80 years old, though I'm not 80 years old, but um, I took a lot of the knowledge that, that I've, uh, that I've uh, learned over the years, and I took the SWOT analysis that so many companies do, and I modified that so you do trends in the middle of your SWOT. So it would be strength, weaknesses, and pause for trends, look at trends, then do your opportunities and threats. So I've, uh, you know, taken my knowledge and imparted it in some pretty sound um, business logic that you can find in books such as Rockefeller Habits or Traction by Gino Wickman, a great new book by Shannon Sussman called The Three Hag Way. But I've taken knowledge that's sort of, uh, uh, most consultants use a very similar approach to what the results platform does. But with the results platform, you don't have to go out and hire a $10,000 consultant. You can do it yourself. Right. And I really encourage business leaders to put together a strategic plan. And it doesn't have to be perfect. A, a plan is an iterative process. You put it together, and after three months, you, you revisit it every week, at least once a week, to see how you're tracking. But then at the end of a quarter, you revisit it again and say, how can we make adjustments to move this thing forward? So many people hire a consultant, and that consultant comes in, and they're great people. I mean, a lot of our clients are consultants. Yeah. Um, and, and they come in, and they do a great consult, a great plan, but so many plans are never executed. Right. In fact, Harvard Business School does a study every year that says, you know, 85 to 90% of all companies fail to execute their strategic plan. So our system guides through putting together this plan and then brings them through a quarterly review of the plan. And it's all done with uh, uh, built-in uh, guidance where it'll say, this is what you have to fill in. Oh, you don't know what this uh, means? Fine, listen to this video. And that video is me speaking for five minutes about core values 
or about how to define your target market or how to do a proper trend analysis. Mm. Um, so it's got over two, um, well, let's see, it's got over two hours, almost three hours of video built right into the platform. So if you get to an area and you haven't done it, or maybe you have done it, but you want to share it with your team. So you hit play and you let them watch this brief little five to 10 minute long video. Um, so, and it guides them through the process to putting together a plan. And Frank, I got to ask you, have you ever logged onto the platform and tried your free, your, your free version? I have logged on. I've actually, I'm actually like on it right now. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get okay. back on. So, so I hate to do that to you on a live podcast, Frank, but I <laughs> encourage every business leader to spend two hours, spend two hours, some weekend, do it, you know, you, you can do it over a TV show that your wife's watching, you can do it while you're drinking a glass of wine, yeah. you know, just plow through and put it, to, you don't have to involve your whole team at first. Every business leader should go through putting together a strategic plan so they clearly understand where their head's at. Well, I'm and sure anybody listening to the podcast knows, has heard the phrase, progress measured equals progress gained. That's right. And so it's absolutely necessary if you want to have a growing organization and you're, and you're growing your team to be able to keep them accountable uh, and know actually where they are. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, I've gone into corporations and the, the team, like the CEOs or the directors or whatever the case may be, they have no idea what their team is doing uh, or what they're doing on a daily basis. You, you could ask them like, what, what, what is your, what has your team done yesterday and the day before exactly to the T what they've done? And a lot of them can't tell you. And so that's essentially what, what your software uh, res, uh, resolves is providing them a way to keep their team accountable. That's right. So you put the plan together in a system. Yeah. And to get the plan, you just go to resultsbi.com, resultsbi.com, to free trial. But the most important thing about putting the plan together is what Frank just touched on, and I call it the results formula. Real simple. Once you're done with your plan, yeah, you've invested two, three, four, maybe even eight hours in putting together your plan. But that's nothing. That's just your intention. And your intention will remain a dream unless you give your intention the attention it deserves. Right. So intention times attention equals results. Mm -hmm. Okay? I love it. I love but it. Intention. So the plan, while we make it easy to put together the plan, don't just put the together the plan and do nothing with it. Once yeah. you put the plan together, share it with your team. Once you share it with your team, you start tracking against that plan. And we give you the tools in the platform to do that. Um, give you a two, two week free trial to the planning component of the platform. Um, so I encourage anybody that, that if you haven't done a plan in years, um, do it. If you've never done a plan, you need a plan. Um, and if you already have a plan, I encourage you to key your existing plan into our platform. It will keep it electronically for you and give you a framework to go in every quarter and adjust it and modify it as you're moving forward. I was just talking to uh, a female who uh, left uh, a company, a corporate job, to start a company. It's after seven years, she's at uh, 
think they're close to $100 million. She's gone public. Her, uh, the company is parcel pending. I just did a podcast with her. And I said, what's the, the number one contributing success, uh, factor to your success? And she says, I created a business plan. And I was like, wow, okay. And she's like, to the T, like, it's kind of, she told me, she's like, it's, it's crazy, Frank. I almost, I almost accomplished every goal in my business plan to the T. Because I put it on paper, I made sure I had it, you know, down, I, I, I put it down effectively. And I was following everything that I planned out. And I, you could literally look back at like the trajectory of my company and look at every little piece and say, wow, she actually followed through on that particular piece. Yeah. So, so that is exactly the value that you guys provide is uh, creating the strategic business plan, but also adding the component of keeping everyone accountable to that business plan. That's right. Yeah. And we do the plan piece for only a dollar a day. Yeah. A dollar a day. And that's for up to 10 users. 10 users for a dollar a day to put together your plan. Which is really good. How did you, you got to start with the plan? How did you What's come to your pricing structure? Like, how did you? I really, you know, my goal at this point in, in, in my career is to bring strategic planning to the business world. And I'm not talking about 10,000 strategic plans. I'm not talking about 100,000 strategic plans. I want to see a half a million strategic plans out there all around the globe. Um, to that point, we have an office in Auckland. We have an office in the United States. We're opening up an office in Ireland. You know, so two, three years from now, we will have 100,000 people using our strategic planning tool, if not three times the amount of that. That's wow. in our plan. That's wow. in our plan. How do you and, plan to get there? How do you I want to bring strategic there? planning to the world, and eventually we might even offer that component for free. Um, how do we get our revenue at that point in time? We have a, a lot of different add-ons. We have an artificial intelligence add-on. We have... Uh, a, um, we can add teams, users, um, uh, do individual meetings, do individual strategies. I have one company that has five different product lines and they have five different strategic plans. They have a strategic plan for each business unit, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, our revenue comes from companies that want to bring Power BI um, windows into their meetings. Our tool has an, an incredible meeting platform. Um, that's available to your 10 executives right away. But as you grow, then you have to buy more meeting blocks. And that's where we get our revenue from, but very affordable to, to start. And you need to start with the plan. And that's what really my goal is to show everybody, you know, if you're going to start with a plan. If, you, if I get 100,000 people doing proper strategic planning, I can change the gross national product of a country. <laughs> I can think about it, you know, so, so I, I'm sounding a little egotistical, but it is really a passion that I have, you know, so Elon Musk wants to put a, people on, on Mars. I, I want to bring strategic planning to the world, proper strategic planning. Um, and, and I don't think there's ever been a company that has really clearly just come out. Like you need a, a spreadsheet. What do you use? Excel, right? If you, you know, that's what we're, we're looking to accomplish is put a strategic planning mechanism out there that works for, for most companies. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, just, just so people are clear who are listening, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Where do they go to sign up for Results BI? 
Resultsbi.com. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, hey, thank you, you Frank. Always Absolutely. good to talk to you. Absolutely, Mark.